Hello, I'm Brian Diaz. And I'm Sam Ray. And we're both physios or licensed physical therapists here at Upright Athlete in Durham, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. My background is in soccer collegiately, and then I transitioned into triathlons of various distances. My background is in swimming and running collegiately, and then I moved back to North Carolina after getting my doctorate, and I'm now focusing on triathlons. For more information on us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook and check out our podcast on Spotify. Today, on episode two of the Upright Athlete podcast, we are joined by Dr. Eric Hegedus, program director for Tufts University, Phoenix campus. Eric has a notable 30-year career as a leader and innovator in physical therapy education, research, and clinical practice. He has his master's in clinical research and PhD in injury prediction with nearly 100 publications to date. Most recently, Eric was the founding chair and professor at High Point University, before joining Tufts Physical Therapy Department this fall. We are thrilled to have Eric on the call today and hope you all enjoy the insight that he brings to this episode. First off, I'd like to send a quick thanks to our sponsors. Our namesake, Upright Athlete, is a leader in sports and orthopedic rehab and training based out of Durham, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Its East Coast location is minutes from an international airport where clients will fly in from all over the country seeking treatment and access to its state-of-the-art facilities and technology and biomechanics and movement assessment. With concierge shuttle service from nearly all surrounding hotels, please set up a telemedicine consult or visit soon to get started. Visit UprightAthlete.com for more details or follow us on Instagram at UprightAthlete. Assess, perform, refine, stay upright. Also supporting this episode is Volt Movement. Dr. Sam Ray is currently accepting new clients for performance coaching of all levels. Volt is running a promo for our podcast listeners for a free phone or Zoom consultation through the end of the year. So please visit the website at voltmovement.com for more information. All right. So podcast number two here with the Upright Athlete Podcast. We've got Eric Hegedus with us here. So Eric, go ahead and tell me a little bit about, you know, your roles throughout your career and what's led you to the position that you're in now. Okay. Um, thanks for having me, by the way, Sam and Brian. Uh, happy to be here for Upright Athlete. And um, yeah, so it's been a, it's been a long uh, career, but a fun one, and I'm not near done with it, so that's good. Um, I've been a practicing clinician for 30 years, um, and even with my other duties, which have evolved over time, I started out as a, as a clinician, then I ran clinics, um, then I split time in academia, then I went full-time academia and developed clinics for Duke within the academic setting. Um, and now I'm a hundred percent in academia for Tufts university, um, developed a new program at high point university before coming to Tufts. And so, uh, a long career of academia, um, and still managed to see patients up until probably, uh, two weeks ago when we moved, uh, from North Carolina to South Carolina, managed to see patients every day, even while doing program director and 
research and all that other stuff because I started out as a PT because I love patients and uh, and love seeing patients and and can't seem to uh, shake myself of loving patients. Yeah, that's great. I mean, so would you would you even be able to consider yourself, you know, a clinician versus a researcher versus, you know, just strictly academia being a professor and how would you even classify yourself? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so jack of all trades, master of none, maybe, is how I would classify <laughs> myself. Um, let's see. It depends. It, de- it would depend on who you ask. If you ask my patients, they firmly believe that I'm a clinician because that interaction feels the same as it would for, uh, for you or for Brian, right? Uh, if you ask my students, no matter how many patients I see, I'm not a, quote, real clinician. Um, because I'm a professor and I, and I run their program, um, depending on who else you, you talk to, if I work with them, they might say, oh, well, you're a, you're a researcher. Um, I'm closing in on a hundred publications, which is a fairly big milestone for me, uh, at the beginning of my academic career, um, uh, Chad Cook and I had a discussion and uh, he said, how many publications do you think you'll have in your lifetime as a PT? I said, 25. Um, now, he was more bold. He said 100, and he's now at like <laughs> 300. Um, but, I'm, but I'm closing in 100, which is great. Um, the thing about my research, though, is it's so married to clinical practice. Uh, almost every article that you see, especially the ones where I'm first or senior author, uh, really have come from me asking myself clinical questions and not being able to answer them or not liking the outcome I got or seeing a group of patients where I've noticed consistent symptoms. Like most recently at High Point, I worked with uh, um, distance runners, uh, middle distance and long distance runners for um, 10 years um, and really, really started to not be happy with how we were diagnosing overuse injuries. Um, and, and nor was I happy with how we were rehabilitating these athletes because um, the standard of care uh, for rehabilitating them was, well, just rest for six weeks and all your pain will go away, which is, which is likely true in most cases. However, they come back deconditioned, can't compete, um, lose a season, those sorts of things. So again, I guess it depends on who you would ask. Uh, whether I'm a researcher, a clinician, uh, uh, an academician, uh, uh, a leader, I, I don't know which of them I am. It depends on the day. So I do have to ask, you know, as you've gotten to this point in your career, did you ever see yourself as being in this position where you're developing, you're now developing your second big program, right? And I, right. ju- I just have to wonder, at what point did you see, okay, this is the path that I am now taking, <laughs> or what yeah. led you to that? So I'm going to drive um, you two goal-oriented people absolutely crazy. No, I had no plan. I was a leaf in a stream. Uh, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> what I was good at was uh, never saying no to an opportunity. So when somebody said, I was a year and a half out, and somebody said, hey, you treat lots of patients with patellofemoral pain and ACL uh, injuries. Would you like to come to the Medical College of Virginia? Because I was practicing in Richmond at the time. Would you like to come and teach about that in our musculoskeletal class? And I'm like, oh, yeah. 
I know all about that, right? Which I do, I knew all about that, I thought, but it's different when you teach it. So I had to really do a lot of work to, to be able to teach that stuff and, um, and dive into the literature to find out, was it any different from how I was actually, actually practicing? So I've done that all along. Um, and so these opportunities um, have presented themselves because I'm, I'm open. That's the nice part of not having a planned set of goals. Sometimes those goals restrict you and that you're so busy working toward that goal that you've set, you failed to realize that there are opportunities to the left and to the right of you that come in different forms that you didn't notice. Um, and so, so I, I have enjoyed, I've enjoyed being a leaf in a stream. And I just, if you look at my, at my history, my career, I loved being a clinician when I was a clinician, but then I was like, well, I'd like to have some supervisor responsibility. So I did that. And then I would like to, I would like to know more about um, uh, strength and conditioning. So I, I went and got a CSCS and then I was, you know, went back and ran some clinics and I was like, oh, you know, home health sounds cool, especially, uh, especially in rural Pennsylvania where I get to go work with farmers who have lost an arm or a leg and still want to be able to farm, right? And what a, what a meaningful way to do physical therapy. So I went and did that for a while while I got an orthopedic certification specialty went to Duke and a master's in clinical research presented itself. And I thought, geez, I'd like to write some research. And so I got a master's degree that Duke paid for in clinical research. And so I don't know, just these wonderful things continue to happen. And I'm not saying everyone should be this way. I'm just saying <laughs> uh, I've been blessed and fortunate as a leaf in a stream of taking advantage of what was there. Now that does not mean the leaf in the stream metaphor falls apart because the leaf is not really working very hard. It's sort of floating. <laughs> um, but the, uh, but hard work is, is, is part of it, right? I mean, you have to, you have to bust your tail to take advantage and do a good job of these opportunities, but that's, I was raised that way. Hard work is, is a friend to me. I'm comfortable with hard work. Uh, so, so yeah, but no, no, I'm not, a, I'm not a goal oriented person. You I mean, Sam, you've even seen me work out. I don't know how many sets or reps I'm even doing that day. This would drive you guys it and your patients crazy. Insane. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. And and I know I know Brian bikes. So Brian, imagine this approach. Um, I just grab my bike and start riding, and I don't have a clock on, and I don't have Strava, and I don't know how fast I'm going, and I don't even know where I'm going, and then. When I get super tired, I start heading for home and then I get home and my wife's like, well, you've been gone for like an hour and a half. Do you know how far you rode? And I'm like, no, I have no idea how far I rode. I just <laughs> rode and it was lovely and fun. And sometimes I rode really fast. And then sometimes I was too busy looking at the golf course and the alligators to, to concentrate on. I don't know. So that's just, that's my approach to everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'll tell you this, I, I, I love cycling because it doesn't, it doesn't torture me. It's just the funnest thing that I do in the week. It's just wonderful. Pam mentioned that you were uh, picking that up as a hobby. So you're going to, we're going to have to have you join us in some of our group rides when you come, when you come into town and, and, uh, and visit your old friends and some of your family here. Then we can, um, 
we can have you out for some group rides as well. That sounds great. Uh, just just don't Strava me. I don't want to know. I don't know. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just follow you guys. You can be part of our Bull City Burn and, 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 and Bolt Movement team. <laughs> well, you may not want me. I mean, I could be riding anywhere from 21 miles an hour to 12 miles an hour. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, and I do have to um, say here, I think it's funny. As I was thinking about your timeline, Eric, that you've had through your career um the first time i think this is a fun little fact um the first time that i met you i was the patient and i was <laughs> at a point of i don't even know how to describe my mental state at that time i was so frustrated that i was basically having this you know, shoulder pain, numbness, my whole arm going numb after 3000 yards, you know, and I was just kind of dealing with it at this point, you know, obviously, I'm not going to stop swimming, that's would be absurd. So having, you know, that point of I don't really know what to do, because it's been a couple years of just dealing with it. Yeah. And coming into high point, because Lexi Wright was there and I was yeah. like, maybe she can help me figure this out. And you walked into the room, you're like, all right, let's get started. And we're just brainstorming in the room. All right, what does your swimming technique look like? Okay, let's reproduce it somehow. Okay, now let's go out into the gym and see if we can get you to activate what you're actually supposed to activate. Right. And I was even shocked at that time. I'm like, I've got two non-swimmers completely breaking down my swimming technique and just demolishing it. And I'm like, wow, I have a lot to work on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, I remember that. And as you know, that encounter with you led us to do a systematic review on exercises and overhead athletes. Cause what we were finding and, and, you know, you and Brian are way better than this, which is why I like upright athletes so much and what you guys are doing there. The standard of care for physical therapy when you have shoulder pain is to do this thing that was developed 30 years ago called the thrower's 10. And you're basically doing internal and external rotation with your arm at your side. And, you know, everything's with your arm at your side. And yet as a swimmer, your arm's going numb because lifting your arm over your head repetitively was A, poor form. B, there was muscle imbalance. C, they were training you in a way, one way, that was actually reinforcing the poor movement pattern, which guaranteed numbness. Um, and so we did then said, well, this is ridiculous. Uh, and it was after our brainstorming session that um, you and I and Lexi started looking at, well, how do we, There's, it's got to be better than this. So what does the research literature say? And this is you know, this is why I like to do research. The research, so research is hard, right? It's published studies, it's controlled trials, it's all of those things. And sometimes it gets far separated from the clinic. The research basically said, hey, doing exercises below 90 degrees of shoulder elevation has shown some benefit. Yeah, okay. But then when you read commentaries by experts, they weren't doing any of that stuff. They were doing all kind of biomechanical analysis and overhead work and all of those things that we ended up doing with you and what the what this systematic review that we did pointed out in the British Journal of Sports Medicine was there is a massive gap between what the research tells us 
works and what clinicians know works for them. So if we had treated you that way, you'd still be walking around with numbness in your arm. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is definitely true. <laughs> so that's why I do research, right? That's And you bring up a good point, which was, you know, that's, I, I have been called in the past the clinician's researcher because when you read my stuff, you're like, oh, I see where this question came from. Um, oh, you can tell he's working with runners at this point, and they had a difficult time diagnosing stress, stress fractures because lo and behold, here's a study about what's the most effective way to diagnose a stress fracture in runners, right? So my, my research is fairly transparent. Uh, if I don't like what's happening in the clinic and there's not an answer for me, then I, then I go looking for it and publish something about it. Yeah. And I mean, even, you know, that research that we started doing there, I spiraled off to creating the injury prevention program for Duquesne, just because we were seeing such a lack of actual injury prevention for these overuse sports. I mean, that's what it is. It's bound to create an overuse injury if you aren't flawless right. in what you're doing, which we're not going to be by the time that we hit 10,000 yards in a practice. Right. You're, it's not going to be flawless. So making sure that you're doing everything you can outside of the water then as well. And just same for, you know, baseball, softball, volleyball, anytime that we're right. applying that overhead athlete to the mix, there has to be a little bit more thought into what they're actually doing and how to apply that to their injury prevention or, you know, eventually maybe their rehab. Yeah. It's why, it's why the three of us on this podcast are in business, right? Because nobody's form stays perfect forever. You get an injury to your left leg, which you think isn't going to affect the way you move your right arm. And yet it does. And so now all of a sudden the right arm's working harder because the left leg isn't propelling itself as well. And lo and behold, you have an overuse injury of your right arm. Uh, it doesn't mean there's a flaw. It just means that sometimes you overuse things. As, as human beings, we are masters at substitution and overcoming. We will find a way. And, if, and I know you guys know this because I know you, how you're going to answer this question. Have either of you known you've had pain and went ahead and exercised through it anyway? Brian and I, no way. <laughs> yeah, my physical therapist encouraged me to work through pain. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> so, so the point no, is, but yes, we you're working yeah. through pain, of course, you're absolutely substituting. This stuff's not working the way it's supposed to. The pain inhibits the neuromuscular firing, right? But we're like, yeah, but I can find a way to bike anyway. I have one leg and two arms. Right. And so you just, you just right. do it. And I, I get it. I mean, I totally understand it. And, and part of me oddly admires it, but I don't think that you can go your <laughs> whole life without a good physical therapist because we all have movement anomalies that crop up. Right. Yeah. It, it's very interesting. And I think that's what all, all three of us have an interest in is making sure that we're actually maximizing everyone's performance that we see, you know, whether this is the elite athlete or this is someone who they're a weekend warrior and they just want to be able to move for the majority of their life. And so thinking about what is this person actually doing and how can we make sure that 
we're maximizing that potential and applying everything in the clinic to their life and not just the life of the last article that we read. Right. Yeah. So let me tell you uh, the one that, that one that I'm working on now that you guys will find interesting because I know you work with runners. Um, so we noticed that there was a gap. So if you look at, oh gosh, um, let, let's talk about baseball literature, right? There is that that throwing program that's the transition from rehab to returning to sport. The throwing program is a is a transitional return to sport program. No such thing exists for runners. What we do is we work with them, strengthen them, um, let them feel less pain, and then say, well, let's go back and try running, right? Um, with no, no transition between there. So that's what we started. That's what we've submitted now for publication. We'll see if it goes. But it's this transition program that's very creative and talks about how you balance all of the uh, things that are um, needed to return to running. And that's not just physical. So strength, yes, but also how are their biomechanics? And also how is their psychosocial profile as they get ready to return to competition? What is their fear level? How do you overcome that stuff? So this is a soup to nuts, comprehensive sort of return to running program. I sure hope it gets published. Um, and one of the one of the great things I, I learned from it is, you know, you have to go back and this is why I love publishing too. It makes me dive into the literature deep and I'm a diver. Once I find something, I obsess over it. Um, and so I, uh, what I found was that, look, there isn't, there isn't a best way to run, honestly, uh, according to biomechanical studies, whether you run as, a, run as a four foot striker, well, actually they call them either a rear foot striker or a non rear foot striker, right? Um, so if you're a non-rear foot striker, i.e. forefoot, um, you you better certainly have a great sort of Achilles, gastroc, soleus foot component, right? Uh, tibialis anterior and posterior perineals. Those things better be in phenomenal working order if you're a non-rear foot striker. If you're a rear foot striker, Turns out those things don't have to work as hard and get in, injured less. And so you sure better have a strong knee and a strong hip. And so now you're talking quads, hamstrings, gluteus, medius, minimus, maximus, right? Those things need to be far better if you're, a, if you're a, more of a rear foot striker. So it's not a, and velocity seems to not change between them, right? People have a way that they like to run and can achieve their maximum velocity. So there isn't one best way, despite everything that's written out there, uh, it is, what do you, what do you want to strengthen and, and work on? Um, and what do you, what do you feel prepared to do to run as a four foot striker or as a rear foot striker? Um, so that's, that's the cool stuff that, that I like when I dive deep into something to learn something like that, to study the biomechanics of it, to study the psychosocial aspects of it. Cool stuff. Yeah. And, and along those lines too, Eric, I mean, I think that's a, that's a cool study that you're looking at, but I think, I mean, you, you know, a lot of a lot of countries, you know, Russia and Australia in particular, they've done a lot of research on the front end of identifying what uh, the human, usually a young kid, is is most set up to succeed at. Right. So if you want to run a 10K in Australia and, and you did a muscle biopsy at age eight and they're like, you're going to be a sprinter. 
then if you want to be in the Olympics, we're going to make you a sprinter. You know, some of those countries are doing that kind of research. Yeah. Well, on on that, we might be able to say, okay, your your body profile and your physiology is setting you up to be a a more rear foot striker. Maybe you you have been taught or your coach is for you know pushing you on this four foot strike, uh, you know better for for the joints kind of running style. But your body is actually set up to be a rear foot striker. So I think uh, that that that's very cool that we can potentially use some of that to even identify at younger ages. Well, yeah, yeah, your coach X or coach Y or physio X or Y is telling you to do this. Well, your your body is just you should be this style of a runner, and 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 we're gonna we're gonna work within those confines to make you better at that. Okay. Um, and and you're right, it's not just one style, but it's it's taking a look at all of those features to then identify how they can best succeed. You know, because I think part of our problem is we see the injuries on this stage, and now they've they've come to us and they've been taught by uh, people other than Bolt Movement, of course, that. Uh, <laughs> This is the way you should be running. And that is, you know, they haven't done that for 20 years of their life. Right. And maybe they, at one point, maybe they, they could have done it. But um, it, it, it's, you're right. There's no one way. And so I think us as physios now, it's kind of, yeah, you know, like Paula Radcliffe, you know, she's got one of the ugliest running styles we've ever seen, but she's effective at running with that style. So we kind of have to adjust based on what you know what they move like but in some of your research perhaps we can identify at an earlier age if you want to be a runner hey this is this is what you look like and this is what you should be doing yeah i yeah. think you're right the the uh, you probably have read this book then because of your interest in this uh the sports gene uh, opened a lot of people's eyes about how much of this is nature versus nurture uh and i also have a great uh, a great friend uh, who is in the business of doing the genetic testing uh, for uh, athletes to see which genes they have, whether they're endurance genes or whether and 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 interestingly enough, his brother is uh, is a geneticist, a genetics researcher uh, up in the Boston area. So so they have some pretty good clout behind them, some good understanding. We're just beginning to uncover what genes are responsible for what physical attributes. And then it gets even more complex because once we understand that, we then have to understand what combinations of genes exist that make certain traits express themselves. So a trait might not express itself if gene A and B are there, but if only gene A is there, it might express itself greatly. Um, so, it, and, and it gets, you know, there's more than A and B genes, as you know, so it gets more and more and more complex as we go. Um, but I think back to physical therapy, you know, I, I saw a patient right before I left whose chief complaint with running was Achilles tendinopathy. And I said, well, okay, that's a very usual um, uh, thing. She said, well, I've never had it before. And I said, well, okay, tell me how you got it. And she said, well, actually, I started out with with um, hip pain, and I went to I went to a, a physical therapist, and they switched my running from my rear foot strike. Uh, they shortened my stride and had me do four foot strike. And I said, "Well, how's your hip pain?" She said, "Well, I don't have any hip pain, but I can't run at all because my Achilles is killing me." <laughs> so, so that's somebody who, you know, they fixed they fixed 
the pain, but in order to make that transition, they're, you know, I'm not going to fault the physical therapist judgment. If you want to switch that runner to a forefoot because of something you see in the clinic, boy, you doggone better put a, have some kind of training and, and, and plyometric program to get the Achilles and the calf ready to take forefoot strike. And that's not what was done. Um, and so this poor gal uh, went from not running because her hip hurt to not running because her Achilles was killing her. Yeah. 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 I think a lot of this is just even understanding how everything is connected, right? So we may have someone who's a four foot striker and they may or may not be having any pain at the moment, but then we know, okay, we need to be focusing on some of these muscles to make sure that we aren't going to cause an injury in the future, just because you're more at risk for it than a rear foot striker. So even knowing that knowledge base gives us an idea of what we need to be focusing on and like you said it doesn't mean that one is better than the other but if we know what ties into forefoot and rear foot striking then we know what we need to be doing similar with shoe wear right you know i'll have people come in and say you know everybody is wearing these barefoot shoes and i feel like i need to be wearing barefoot shoes but i'm wearing my hokas you know and i'll mm -hmm. ask well have you had any pain or, you know, any injuries? Well, no, things are going great. <laughs> well, then you don't need any switching shoes, right? <laughs> so I think everyone starts to try to follow different paths based on what we're reading and what you see sure. your training partners doing. Um, but everybody's different. So sure. knowing what you're wearing, what your mechanics look like and knowing, okay, then what does that potentially mean for me? What should I be looking out for? What should I be preventing? Right. And that's what you have to go based on initially. Yeah. And we all work with athletes and we're athletes ourselves. Um, I'm an older one, but I'm still considering myself athletic. Um, we, <laughs> we, we tend to try to find the competitive advantage however we can, which I get. Um, and sometimes that's equipment, but very often we are prone to the latest fad that somebody says is going to get us that, that advantage, right? Um, and, and physical therapy is very prone to fads, right? It, it all has to be manual therapy oriented physical therapy until it isn't anymore. And then dry needling is everything until it isn't anymore. And then, you know, the FMS is the thing you have to use to determine who's going to get injured until it doesn't work. Right. And so I think, <laughs> I think we're, I think we're better off, um, fighting that urge to do sort of these one-off things. It doesn't mean you shouldn't try and see if they work for you, but I think, um, I think as a, as a profession and as an athletic group, uh, we are certainly prone to finding that one newest, coolest thing that might give us the advantage. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, I just checked the time too, and I don't want to leave you <laughs> rushing into your next Zoom call, Eric. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time out of your day as you're building this new program to come and chat with us here at Upright Athlete. I know that we really appreciate just being able to talk to you and get some of your insight and see what you're doing with your career. And I know that we'll definitely, you know, stay in touch with the research that you're doing right now. I think that's something that we'll definitely want to apply with our runners here. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah. Thank you guys for uh, having me on. I'm excited to come and bike with you guys. Um, thanks for having me on. 
uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I, I hope we'll continue to work together in the future. And um, you guys uh, at Upright Athlete and Bolt Movement do a really fantastic job. Uh, so keep up the good work. And, uh, and uh, again, I hope we'll work together in the future. All right. Thanks, Eric. Thank you. All right. Take care, guys. That wraps up podcast two. And Sam and I would again like to thank Eric for taking time to talk with us about the importance of bridging together research and clinical application. Eric's lifelong dedication to finding solutions to problems that don't have an answer that we find acceptable as physios is a reminder to us all that what may have worked in the past or for one patient may not be pertinent now or to a current patient. It is our responsibility to dig deeper, ask questions, and perhaps even research areas that we feel are inadequate or don't work for a patient or client in our care. In doing this, not only do we improve the patient and client, but improve ourselves as clinicians. Please take a moment to follow us on Spotify or coming soon, Apple Podcast. Thanks for listening and see you next month.